0: I'm going to start this sermon. It's a strange way of doing it on grace alone, on faith alone, by telling you um, to uh, uh, how you can be a legalist, how to be a legalist. Number one, make rules outside of the Bible. It's a good way, good start point of becoming a legalist. Um, Things like, man, I really should read the Bible every day. Well, that's not really in the Bible every day. Um, Well, debatable, I guess. (laughs) I should have thought of a better example. Um, But things that are outside of the Bible that you make, the rules that you make uh, by yourself. And the second thing that you do then is push yourself as hard as you can to keep those rules. And number three is when you don't keep those, uh, those rules, then you start punishing yourself. That's a sure way of becoming a legalist. Um, punish yourself when you keep the rules and become proud, actually, when you do keep those rules. Um, and, uh, and, and finally, appoint yourself as a judge and get angry with people, look down on people if they don't keep your rules that you set up for yourself or um, look down on them because they have a different set of, uh, set of rules. Sure way of becoming a legalist. A legalist is a person whose life revolves around making and keeping of these rules and law. And Jesus talked about the Pharisees, didn't he? Who were hypocrites, experts at making up laws outside of the Bible and looking down on people who break them, who became really proud when they kept those rules, um, and really despaired when they didn't. But this wasn't simply a first century problem in the days of Jesus. This, is a pro- this problem uh, happened throughout the history. It happened during the Middle Ages as well, at the time of the Reformation. As many of you know, Luther was a legalist. And it's quite understandable. This bright young man was on the way of becoming a, 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 a promising lawyer. And he only became a monk Because when there was a big storm and there was thunders and lightning, he became so afraid that he called out to St. Anne, help me, St. Anne, I'll become a monk. This is how Luther became a monk. He became a monk and a priest out of fear. Out of fear of punishment. And he was an excellent monk. Fear makes you an excellent monk. Being a legalist makes you an excellent monk. He learned and worked and prayed, oftentimes very zealously. At times he was so terrified at the wrath of God that he confessed his sin 20 times a day to his confessor, 20 times. And he would sometimes punish his body, discipline his body by sleeping on the floor. When he celebrated his first mass, the first Eucharist, his hands trembled in fear because he thought that he might do something wrong and displease God. And this is what he wrote of the righteousness, the righteousness of God, which we read from verse 21 of our passage. He writes, I hated that phrase, the righteousness of God, which I had been taught to understand as the righteousness by which God is righteous. And punishes the unrighteous sinners. Although I lived a blameless life as a monk, I felt that I was a sinner with an uneasy conscience before God. I also could not believe that I had pleased Him with my works. Far from loving the righteous God who punishes sinners, I actually hated Him. Did you hear that? It starts from hating the righteousness of God, He ends up by saying, I hated Him, I hated God. He hated God because nothing seemed good enough for God. How could he please God with his good works? And legalism is frustrating because if you're like Luther or like me, or many, I think all of us who've, who've had experiences like this, at the time, the time of complete obedience is very few and far in between. And it's very fleeting. How, can we, how, how long can we actually go without sinning? We feel very good when we keep these laws, but when we fail, we despair because we tried so hard, but we can't seem to do, keep these uh, simple rules. Um, there's another person and I in this church who, who made up a rule for ourselves that we would not use electronics after a certain hour in the night. Even that has been really, really difficult for me to keep. And we make up these rules, and then we live with our ups and downs. Up when we keep them, down when we don't. Why is it then, why is it then we keep turning to legalism? Why is it then we keep making these rules and try so hard to keep them? Well, I think the first reason, one reason, is that we do not take the Bible's diagnosis of our sinfulness, seriously. We can't believe that we are as bad as the Bible tells us that we are. Um, Look at the beginning of our passage, Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. If you just skim over there, Paul here quotes from all over the Old Testament to tell us how bad everybody is. From Proverbs, Psalms, Isaiah, Psalms yet again. There's no one righteous, not even one, he starts. Those words, no one, are repeated twice in verse 11. In verse 12, he says, all then have turned away from God. Then concludes that no one does good, not even one. Yet again, he repeats it at the end of verse 12. This means that even the best men, best women that you know, The most noble, the most honorable, the most humble, most uh, seem to be sanctified, the idealist, most celebrated man or woman are laden with sin and cannot stand up against the test of God's law. In fact, it's usually those people who are most noble who seem to be so aware of their flaws that they're the first ones to tell you that they are not what they seem to be. But it's not just the universality of sin, that everybody is sinful that Paul mentions here. He is, there's a hint of doctrine of total depravity, isn't there? The idea that all of our being is tainted with sin. Look at all the body parts that are mentioned in verses uh, 13 through 15. 13 through 15. Throats, tongue, lips, mouth, feet. It's totality of one's body. Our hearts, mind, lips, hands, feet, our reason, our emotions, our desires, our wills are all affected by sin. There's times uh, there, at, at times misunderstanding of this uh, 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 um, doctrine of total depravity. Some people think that it's a, uh, this means that we are as sinful as we can be. We're as bad as we can be. But you know from experience that is not true. There's good in you, there's bad in you. And we see that outside of the Christian church as well. People who are not Christians, there are good, there's good in them, and there's bad in them. That's all of us. That's the, total, uh, that's the doctrine of total depravity. That not, not that we're as bad as we, uh, we can be, but that all of our faculty in our, in our life, of our being, is affected by sin, is tainted by sin. This is how Reverend uh, Packard, um, J.I. Packard, uh, puts it. No one is as bad as they might be, but no action of ours is as good as they might be. No one is as bad as they might be, but no one is as as good as they might be. Nothing that we do is purely good. We do it with all sorts of mixed motivations, some good and some bad. And usually mine are tainted with self-interest and jealousy or pride or, uh, or vainglory. And so Paul concludes in verse 20 that no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. He says, actually, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The picture is this. Imagine yourself at the last day, the judgment day. God says, stand up and defend yourself. The picture is of us standing up and becoming silent because we have been uh, presented with an overwhelming evidence of sin. We can't defend ourselves. We become silent. We can't even keep the Ten Commandments or whatever simple laws that you make for yourself. We just don't have the faculty to keep those rules. And yet we become legalists because we keep thinking that here, if we try a little harder, if we confess our sins 20 times a day, if we beat our bodies, discipline our bodies, if we just get the right people around us, accountability partners around us, that we will be able to please God with our works. That's what we do, don't we? We do not believe the the, 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 the desperate diagnosis of the Bible, that we are sinful, that we do not have the resources within us to meet God's righteousness. But some of you are saying, well, that's not me. I know that I am sinful. But I, what I really want is to just see some progress. Because if I'm making progress that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in me. That if we're doing, if you're just going from bad to, uh, uh, to, to better, that we're, we're, we're thinking to ourselves that this is the evidence that God is working within me. And if, you're, if you think like that, and that by your progress that you will be accepted, accepted by God, this is more of a pre-Reformation and also more, more akin to Catholicism. What Catholics believe. So, Protestants often accuse of, uh, of Catholics of works righteousness. Um, the idea that we can earn our salvation. Well, that's not exactly right. It's not that Catholics think that works saves them. Actually, Catholics believe that grace will, uh, will, 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 is given to you. But actually, for Catholics, progress uh, progress is very important because grace is given to you but in Catholic theology what they think is that you have to receive this grace and you have to make it your own so for example if you want to be more humble uh, for example, God might give you a dose of grace through something like communion and then you have to accept that grace and you have to act humble you have to become humble Grace is uh, working in you, and once you receive that grace, you have to become the kind of people that God wants you to be. And that's why progress is very important in Catholic theology. That's not the biggest issue in some ways. That's not our biggest gripe against the Catholicism because Protestants also believe in sanctification, the fact that God will make us more and more holy. The issue is that uh, is, is with, uh, with the belief that God will accept us based on our progress, based on how, uh, how, how holy and righteous you are becoming. In Catholic theology, in order to, for you to be with God, you have to become perfect. Those who have reached this perfect, perfection in lifetime are called saints. When they die, they go straight to heaven because they can be with God, because they're perf- they've are perfect, they reached that perfection. But most of us, people who haven't reached this perfection, they go to purgatory. That's where the idea of purgatory comes from. This is a place of purgation. This is a place of cleansing where you continue your uh, uh, process of becoming more and more holy until you become perfect so you can be with God. And I think this idea, although we don't approve of the doctrine of purgatory or this idea that we have to become perfect, but this idea seems to me very attractive option for many, many people because, once again, because we believe that once we become a Christian, we should be making progress. And when we don't see this progress, we even doubt our salvation we think to ourselves, do I have the Holy Spirit in me? Can I actually be saved? Because I know that I'm so bad and I don't seem to be making any progress in my life. And that's why we set up rules for ourselves and that's why we become legalists once again, don't we? But that's not what the Bible says. That's not what this passage says. Paul explains in this next paragraph here, uh, and this is, uh, uh, by the way, um, the paragraph that starts in verse uh, 21. Um, what Dr. Leon Morris, a, 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 a commentator, says: possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. So pay attention, verse 21 and on. This is the most important, possibly the most important paragraph ever written in any literature, anything out there. Because this is the basis of Luther, Calvin, and other reformers' theology. This is the, this is the paragraph that will refute um, legalism and any type of theology that says you have to add to the grace. Grace plus. Or faith plus. And this is what he says in verse 21. But now... Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Now, when Paul talks about law and the prophets, he's not um, talking about uh, some rules. He's talking about the Old Testament. This is what the Old Testament testifies. This is what the Old Testament, the whole of the Bible, says. The law of uh, the um, uh, um, the righteousness apart from the law. And he continues. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentiles, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. It's not about becoming a holy person, is it? It's not about keeping God's laws or about our laws, you see how the righteousness is outwardly. It's not this grace working in you. It's about this outward grace that is not yours, but it is Christ. It's righteousness that is Christ's. It's Christ's righteousness that is given to us as a gift once again, in verse 22, the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And he's talking about trusting in Jesus Christ, not, as a, not knowing Jesus as a, some historical figure, but trusting Jesus as our living guide, as our living Lord, as our living Savior. It's about the righteousness he has won and freely gives to us. As a gift. And when Luther understood this, it changed his life. Not only did it change life, it changed the course of um, Christian history. Remember what Luther said about the righteousness in, Rome, uh, in Romans, and this is what he wrote as he understood what this righteousness meant more. I began to understand that the righteousness of God, as that by which the righteous person lives by the gift of God, And this sentence, the righteousness of God is revealed to refer to a passive righteousness. Passive righteousness, it's not an active righteousness that you have to participate in. Passive righteousness that you receive, by which the merciful God justifies us by faith. As it is written, the righteous person lives by faith. This immediately made me feel as though I had been born again. And as though I had entered through the open gates into paradise itself, from that moment I saw the whole face of scripture in a new light and now where I had once hated the phrase righteousness of God I began to love and extol it as the sweetest of phrase He loved that phrase now because he knew that there is nothing that he, this righteousness is not something that he has to do or earn, but it is given to us as a free gift to all those who believe. It's faith alone that justifies, it's grace alone that justifies. And what Luther and the Protestants believe essentially is this that once you become a princess, you remain a princess. And this is a. a Uh, My my previous uh, boss, um, Hugh, tells uh, this story that illustrates this so well. I think, Uh, imagine Prince Charles. Imagine if if Prince Charles Charles wasn't married. And he went around and he fell in love with a prostitute. And against all the advice of his counselors, he married this prostitute. And after the wedding night, this prostitute wakes up. And she looks at herself and she goes, Man, Well, she probably won't say man. Well, who (laughs) knows? I don't feel like a princess. I don't look like a princess. She probably doesn't sound like a princess. She doesn't act like a princess. But regardless of how she feels, she is a princess. Because Charles married this woman. And that's exactly what Christ has done with us. He's paid for our sins. He's redeemed us. He married us. He made us his bride, even though we remain sinners. And that in faith, in that promise, and in the person who makes that promise, makes us righteous. Faith alone justifies. Grace alone justifies. And once again, I don't want I don't want to just um there are a lot of good people in the Catholic Church and I love the Catholic Church for many many different things, but this is still a point of contention between the Catholic Church and uh, Protestant churches including the Anglican Church. This is what the Catholic Church um gathered uh, in, in a council, Council of Trent in 1544 that gathered uh, in in response to the Reformation. They gathered together and they considered some of the things that the Protestants were saying, and this is what they declared. This is Canon 9 of Council of Trent. Um, If anyone says that by faith alone the impious is justified, if if you believe that faith alone justifies the sinners, in such wise to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtaining the grace of justification, that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema, let him be cursed. If you believe that faith alone justifies, if you do believe that, that, that you don't, don't have to cooperate with this grace, that faith alone justifies, then let him be cursed is the official belief of the Catholic Church. Unfortunately, our Catholic brothers and sisters believe in this grace plus faith plus. They believe that we still need to make progress. And on that basis of that making that progress and be reaching perfection, if not on this earth in the purgatory, that you will be accepted by God. Well, this legalism and uh, wanting to make progress, um, I think, um, to once again is attractive to all of us because I think it makes salvation something uh, a little bit about us. We have this sense in us that we really want to make a little bit of a contribution that salvation should be at least about a little bit about us. Legalism is us-focused, is us-centered. It focuses on our holiness, on the progress that we are making. And you see, in the paragraph that uh, Liam Morris called the most important paragraph in the history, there's no you or I or us at all in that paragraph, Verses twenty-one through twenty-six. That most important paragraph, there is nothing about us. It's all about Jesus. It's all about grace. It's all about faith that that, that, that we get uh, uh, um, that, that we have. The rest of the the the, the, the 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 whole thing is about Jesus, the whole thing is about him. We decrease and he increases. This is the way of salvation. It's about Jesus and His glory because of what He has done for all of us. God left His throne to be with us, but then He lived. He was arrested. He was mocked. He was crucified. There on the cross, He redeemed us, Paul tells us in verse 24. Um, he died as a sacrifice of atonement, and that really is a propitiation. That's, uh, that's uh, uh, making this wrathful God um, not angry, to appease his anger, verse 25. He died also in 25 to demonstrate God's justice, to, to tell us that God takes the sin seriously. He can't just forgive that something needs to die. And so God sent his son to demonstrate his justice, So he would die for us. Salvation is all about Jesus. It's not about our works or our progress. And that's why Paul says there's no boasting anymore in verse 27. There is no boasting. The works of salvation is all about Christ. And this is also how God is able to make this church. People of, uh, not just this church, but the church, universal This is how God unites people of all sorts of backgrounds, people of all levels of education, and more importantly, all levels of moral achievements. We can all be one family because at the foot of the cross, we're on the level ground. We all come as sinners. We all come as family of sinners. That's why we can all come and call each other one family of Christ. And that's why he adds in verse 31 that faith does not nullify the law. Faith does not nullify the law because faith is the only way that law can be kept. No one could keep the law, so Jesus kept it for us. And faith is the only way we can uphold the law and say this is good. This is what we need to do because Christ kept the law for us. And yet, we still want salvation to be about us. We try so hard. We still want to contribute. Well, that's man-centeredness. That's women-centeredness. At the heart of faith alone is Christ-centeredness. It's all about Jesus. Gerhard Ford um, is a Lutheran theologian who passed away in 2005. And this is what he wrote as he looked back to his life, not as a young man, but as an old person reflecting back at the progress that he's made. This is what he wrote. Am I making progress? If I'm really honest, it seems to me that question is odd, even a little ridiculous. As I get older and death draws nearer, I don't seem to be getting any better. I get a little more impatient, a little more anxious about having perhaps missed what this life has to offer a little slower, harder to move, a little more sedentary and set in my ways. Am I making progress? Well, maybe it seems as though I sin less, but that may only be because I'm getting tired. It's just too hard to keep indulging the lusts of youth. Is that sanctification? I wouldn't think so. One should not, I expect, mistake encouraging senility for sanctification. But can it be, perhaps, that it is precisely the unconditional gift of grace that helps me to see and admit all of this? You see what he's saying here? It's not about becoming good. It's not about... Um, he can admit that, 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 that he's not become any better because he knows that it's not about him. It's about Jesus. It's the grace that allows him to admit to people that he's a sinner. That all his efforts to try to be better has failed. Because he's confident in the grace. Real progress is less obsession with the self, either good or bad. We don't become proud when we are good, and we don't despair when we are bad. What I hope is that that will happen to all of us. As we look at the doctrine of this faith alone and grace alone, that we will forget ourselves, that we will be filled with the knowledge of Jesus Christ In our love of Jesus Christ. That we'll be filled with this vision of Jesus living and dying and resurrecting for us. That every day we'll we'll wake up and think less of ourselves and more of Jesus. You know, that's the only way you will make any progress in your life. That's the only way. If you look at Jesus, the author and the finisher of faith. And as we do that, let Jesus Christ be glorified in all we do. Amen.